Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Have you ever experienced something so inexplicable that you knew it had to be more than just a coincidence? Experiences like this make us believe that there is a benevolent force of energy available to direct and guide our lives. My guest Cheryl Richardson calls this energy grace. She believes that every event we experience and every person we meet has been put in our path for a reason. She's here to share more about the transformational power of grace. Cheryl Richardson is a New York Times bestselling author of several books, including Take Time for Your Life, Life Makeovers, and The Unmistakable Touch of Grace. She was the first president of the International Coach Federation. Her work has been covered widely in the media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, New York Times, and O Magazine. She was the team leader for the Lifestyle Makeover series on the Oprah Winfrey Show and accompanied Miss Winfrey on the Live Your Best Life nationwide tour. During our conversation, Cheryl and I will discuss the significance of coincidences and how to recognize and interpret them through the lens of grace. She'll also talk about tapping into grace so that we can feel vibrant and balanced as we age. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Cheryl. How are you doing today? I'm great, Celine. How are you? I'm doing very well. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you today. Your book, uh, Take Time for Your Life, was the second self-help book that I read, and I was around 17 at that time, and it profoundly impacted me, even at that age. And I've been reading your books ever since, so I just want to say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, that tells me something. If you read Take Time for Your Life at 17, <laughs> yeah. that tells me you're probably an old soul that you know you were attracted to something like that. Um so I imagine you've you've been a seeker for quite some time. Uh, I have. I actually saw you on the Oprah Winfrey show, and then I just heard you talking, and I was just so um, I don't know. I just I really resonated with your message, even though I didn't entirely understand it at that age. Um, sure. But over time, it started making more sense to me, especially the whole uh, uh, the lesson about self care, which are really. Um, well-known for self-care and boundaries that became really important for me later on in my life. Oh, that's great. That's great. I always so appreciate when 
young people get the message early, it will save you a lot of trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. How- I, I really don't know what I would have done if I didn't have that knowledge, really. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And now look at you. Now you're sharing your knowledge with other people and helping to you know, helping spread the word to other people so that that's how it works. You know, we first invest in our own growth and we make commitment to grow and evolve and do whatever we can to get to know ourselves better. And then over time, we get to share those gifts with other people. That's a, a great example of grace in action, you know, where we start inside with ourselves and then doors begin to open. And over time, you know, you see your path unfold before you, which is great. Right, right. But you were an early inspiration for me. So I just wanted to make sure I let you and the listeners know that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, Shell. So today we'll be discussing grace based on the concepts covered in your book, The Unmistakable Touch of Grace. You actually autographed my copy in 2009 at the Celebrate Your Life conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. I have it right here. Um, oh, yeah. I don't really think you would remember, but um, but yeah, so I have an autographed copy right here. I want to start by talking about your experience of grace. So firstly, how do you define grace? And uh, when did you realize that your life was touched by grace? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, how would I define grace? I think in the book, I talk about grace being really a sort of divine energy that guides and directs our lives when we're open to it. And at this point, many years later, I would say that I have a similar response, except that grace to me is really what happens. It's the way that life sort of falls into place when we learn to really honor the fact that we are souls um, and that that we're souls, we're not our mind, we're not our identity, but we're actually um, something far deeper and greater than that. And and when I'm able to really um, remember that I'm not my crazy mind or my fearful mind or my anxious mind or the, the part that wants to manipulate the outer world in order to feel better, But when I recognize that the primary thing I need to do is just come back to this present moment and be here with you in this moment, be here with myself, then life starts to work. And um, it's almost as though we get wrapped in grace, in this kind of um, divine flow energy that allows us to experience life and learn and grow from it rather than always defend ourselves against it or try to, you know, manipulate the world in some way. So it's not a very short, direct answer, but it's um, it's kind of how my idea of grace has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And then when did I, you know, when did yeah, I? Yeah, when first... did you first realize? Because you, you write about that in the book, so I'd love to hear a little bit from yeah, you. I give a lot of examples. I mean, the book yes, you do. Really is, yeah, I, I, I went through, years of um and what I discovered over time you know I can't really remember the first experience I had of what appeared to be grace um but you know I I just talk about how like this is a moment of grace right here my little cat birdie hi birdie oh. hi. yeah I know you're a big animal lover big cat lover 
things would happen where the more I took care of myself, like I guess in some ways, when I was 19 years old, I um, was working for a family business and I knew it was time for me to leave, but I had no idea how to make that move. I was really scared. I didn't want to let my family down, and I, but I knew I wasn't happy. And so I really just sort of prayed for some guidance and support. And I was introduced, okay, buddy, I was introduced to um, a therapist who uh, I met and hired to work with. And she really, she was like a gift of grace to me. I made the decision I wanted to grow. I made the decision to reach out and ask for help, which was scary. And then I made the decision to say yes when someone said, I think I can help you. And I worked with her for, I think, at least a year, left the family business on very good terms, and then, you know, went on to start my own life. And so over time, I found that when I, when I was really led by an earnest desire to grow and evolve and um, to be the most authentic human being I could be, but in my path of the right information that I needed or an opportunity. And, you know, that just happened over and over and over again. And in the unmistakable touch of grace, I talk about how grace influenced my life and give examples of that, because I think it's so important for all of us to know that we're not alone, you know, that there are forces beyond what we can see and touch and feel that um, are really ready to support us when we get out of the way and stop trying to control the world. Yes, I agree with you. And in fact, you say something really profound in, in the book, Cheryl. You say that there are no coincidences. Every event we experience and every person we meet has been put in our path for a reason. So can you please, please explain why you feel that way? Well, um, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's so important to clarify what I mean by that. Um, when we decide that we are going to use life as a growth opportunity, everything that happens, the people we meet, the experiences we have, the problems we face, the challenges that we deal with, um, then they become meaningful. Life itself becomes meaningful, everything that happens. So it's not that I believe we have this predestined um, journey ahead of time where, you know, Mary Smith is going to come into my life on April 27th. It's not like that at all. It's really more about the way in which we approach life, which is, you know, if I were to decide that everyone I meet and everything I face, every experience I have provides me with an opportunity to remember that I'm a soul, I'm not my personality, it provides me with an opportunity to remember that I can grow and um, become learn to become more present oriented and centered by everything that happens in my life, then everything becomes meaningful. Everything feels like um, it is a gift in some way. It's in our path for a reason. So for example, I recently was dealing with a family member who was um, was struggling with some health issues and all of a sudden I needed to rearrange my schedule and, you know, um, make several adjustments all at once to be able to help this person get the care that they needed. Well, in the past, that might have frustrated me or annoyed me or made me feel like, you know, oh my goodness, just overwhelmed me with the changes that needed to be made. 
But instead, through the lens of this situation has been put in my path as an opportunity, um, my job is to be present for it and to just deal with the life that's unfolding in front of me. And if I approach it that way, now I have an opportunity to deepen my relationship with this family member, to practice patience, to repeatedly bring myself back to the present moment. These are really important life skills, right? And really beautiful opportunities to connect more deeply with other people. And so in that case, I could say, oh, this situation that seemed overwhelming or frustrating was actually a gift came into my life and I decided to using it to make myself um, more awake and authentic and, and present. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So it's about finding that metaphorical silver, silver lining, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that because how we interpret situations is ultimately it's in our control. That is something that we can, uh, you know, that we can do on our own. It doesn't depend on external factors. Right. Right. Have you had like moments of grace or coincidences? Like, can you think of one that you've had? I've actually had several. Uh, yeah. In my life, I can't think of one right now. I'm blanking out, <laughs> um, but I certainly have. And at that time, especially like seeing certain signs and symbols, because you talk a lot about that in the book. You actually say that the that the universe sends us signs, and they can be really significant for for our spiritual growth. Um, so I would love for you to tell us more about about that and how we can actually spot those and interpret them. Cheryl, in the book, you mentioned that that the universe actually sends us signs that help us on the path of grace. And you say that learning how to recognize signs is an essential skill if you want to really partner with a higher force. Um, so I'd love to know what are some of the common spiritual signposts that we should look out for as we move through life? I think the more we practice being present, the more we see the ways in which life starts to just work to our advantage. And sometimes we'll get, you know, you'll be thinking about um, a problem that you have and suddenly you'll get an email with a solution in the problem, a solution to the problem. Or I'll think about somebody that I haven't seen in quite some time and feel like I really want to reconnect with them. And suddenly they'll contact me out of the blue. I have this happen a lot. The other thing I have happened a lot is, and again, I think this is because when we're in the flow with life, when we're focused on being in the present, life starts to just work more effortlessly. And sometimes um, I've noticed that if I have made a commitment to do something and something happens that makes that commitment difficult to keep, oftentimes that person will cancel <laughs> and suddenly open up that space, you know? So there's just a myriad of ways in which I feel like life is always speaking to us. Life is really on our side and wanting to support us. And what gets in the way of that, what prevents us from seeing that is our own is the ego or the personality's desire to control our lives because in an effort to feel safe or to feel okay in some capacity. So if we make the focus of our attention and our work on tending to our insides, on practices like meditation, 
solutions will just appear out of nowhere. And to me, those are like little love notes from the universe. You know, it's a love notes from life saying, we got this. You don't have to work so hard. You don't have to manipulate your environment. If you just step out of the way and allow life to flow, it'll be okay. And it often is. I've seen it happen in like strange, practical, and quite amazing ways. Right. What about seeing some kind of like tangible sign, for instance, seeing a certain animal or seeing certain numbers, uh, those are significant too, right? Well, I think what's more significant is how present you are to life. Okay. And that's the difference. That's the difference in terms of where I've grown to in my work. Um, we can get caught up on looking for magic, right? Um, you know, if an animal shows up in my yard in the past, I would have thought, Oh, okay. What's, what's the symbolism of that animal? And yes, I might still, I might like look it up, see what the symbolism of that animal is even more is that I'm present for that exchange, right? That I'm actually here. I think about that a lot. You know, sometimes I'll have deer show up in my yard and in the past I would run to grab my camera or I would think, Oh my goodness, you know, this is such a gift. You know, it's a sign from the universe. And today I just say, how about you just be present with that deer and have this experience right now. And then I will just sit quietly. I won't grab my phone to take a photo. I won't make it mean anything except this is a gift that life is presenting me with right now. And am I here to receive it? That's really the question. And sometimes um, we can ask that even of the difficult challenges that we face. If this were a gift from life, what might it be trying to give me? I think those are really helpful questions. And they, in a way, they invoke grace because the highest form of grace is our experience of this present moment, actually being where we are at any given moment. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does. And I think that is so profound and needed in today's day and age where everyone is just, you know, pulling out their phone and trying to take a photo and or just take a video wherever they are rather than actually being present and really taking in that experience. And that begins in our own individual lives. You know, how, like I never, for example, I never have the phone in my bedroom at night when I go to sleep. It is an absolute no. Yeah. It does not go in the room. Um, I think the last time I had my phone in the room was when my, one of my family members wasn't well. And I told them they could call me at any time in the middle of the night. And I kept it on a bureau, not next to my bed. Yeah. Um, but I think really limiting our engagement with technology, social media, especially young people, because you all grew up having technology be a natural part of your life in the way that I didn't. So I know what it's yeah. like pre-phone. And Yeah, I was 15 when, when the internet came out. So I did have some time to have a normal childhood. <laughs> yeah, I did. And so... You know, with we need to be engaged with natural technology, right? Getting out into the world, going for walks, seeing a sunrise or a sunset, looking for those animals and experiencing, you know, there's nothing like a beautiful sunrise to bring you right back to the present moment, right? And how many times have we seen a sunrise or a sunset and been awed by it? And in that instant, it feels like grace, and the reason it feels like grace is because a striking sunrise will bring you right into the present moment. 
You're not thinking about your bills. You're not thinking about a client. You're not, you're just so awestruck by the beauty that's in front of you that you have this experience of coming home to yourself and technology can get in the way of that. So taking media fast, taking technology fast, really working on our own inner technology and upgrading that, becoming more awake and aware and conscious, less dependent on our technology is really what's going to save the planet, frankly. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree with you. And how do we know that we're plugged into grace? Are there certain signs? Know it when you're in the present moment. I know I sound like a broken record, but (laughs) you'll know. Yeah, you'll know you're in the flow when you're able to bring yourself back, regardless of what's happening outside of you, you're able to come back. You can use your breath, which is another powerful way to come home to oneself. The breath will lead you home, breathing in through the nose and then out through the nose, even more slowly extending the exhales will allow you to come back home to yourself. And you'll know you're in the flow when you just feel like, okay, I'm I'm safe. I'm going to be okay. Um, And then things start to happen that, you know, I mean, here's a great example. This is a little story. It's silly, but it's really true. I had um, the sink in my kitchen broke and it's 15 years old. And the, the hardware for the sink is, um, is very specific. It's a unique design that they no longer make. And so I went online um, to try and find it. I found a company that carried whatever was left of the hardware, but um, I couldn't buy it anywhere. And if I couldn't buy this one piece, it meant I had to replace everything. Mm. And trying to replace it with a style that goes with my old world home was going to be very difficult. Well, when it happened, I started to get really upset and frustrated, started making phone calls. I started going online. I was doing all this research. And then, and I noticed I was getting agitated by it. And I went, oh, wait a minute, stop. I had sent an email to a company that still carried the, the some of the inventory of that old design. And I just, I just said, stop. And I closed my eyes and I just got silent for about five minutes and just said, you know what? I've done what I can do right now. I've dealt with what's in front of me. It's in life's hands, not mine. We'll see what happens. And about three hours later, I get an email from the company that I had contacted saying, oh, we found the part. We've sent it off to you and you should get it within the next two days. And I wrote back and said, oh my goodness, thank you so much. And, you know, I didn't get an invoice. Like, how did you even know like where to send it? And they wrote back and said, oh, there's no need to pay for it. It's a small piece. We had your address on file from 15 years ago. Wow. And we've sent it to you and it's all set. And I remember thinking, there you have it. I get out of the way. I stopped doing all the research. I didn't make frantic phone calls trying to get this thing because we had no water in the kitchen. And it's, you know, it's not easy having a kitchen without water running. All the water had to be shut off. But the minute I just said, you know what, this is a first world problem and it will get resolved and I've done what I can do right now. It's like life just happened. Now, I'm not saying that happens all the time because the real benefit of that story is the peace I felt when I came back to myself and got quiet and used my breath to just 
come into the present moment and not fuel the frustration. I wasn't aggravating myself with my thoughts. I was actually just enjoying the present moment. And then life handled the problem. And I've seen that happen so many times that I finally reached a point where I know when I'm faced with something difficult, the very best thing for me to do is to sit down and get quiet and get literally, I imagine myself getting out of the way, like getting off the road and letting life do what it needs to do. And it really, really helps. And that's grace to me. Hmm. Yeah. And that is just so liberating to do that. I mean, for control freaks, you know, I, I am a former control freak. It was really hard to let go and to reach that state of inner peace because you just want to be able to solve the problem. And that can really put you in a state of agitation, as you, as you said, especially if there is no immediate solution. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so that's how you, that's definitely how you, you know, ignite grace, come back to the moment, focus mm-hmm. on senses, focus on your breathing. And as you do that, life kind of restores itself to sanity. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's wonderful. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, so I'd like to switch gears now and talk about some of the themes that you cover in your newest book, which is titled uh, self-care for the wisdom years, where you guide people on how to embrace was their wisdom years and to age consciously. And I think that's really needed today, Cheryl, because there are a lot of signs that people are struggling with the aging process. I mean, we see people getting too much Botox or they're taking some other extreme measures to you know, fight their age. So why do you think people are finding it harder to accept the aging process? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, we live in a culture, particularly in the United States, that really glorifies youth. And um, if you look, there are other cultures that really honor their elders, right? We don't do that as well in this country. And so, so much of the media is constantly looking at youthful images. It's focused on either youth or anti-aging, everything you can do to live forever, which by the way, as far as I can tell, hasn't been achieved yet. You can't live forever. We're all going to die at some point. So there's there's that focus on anti-aging, but then there's also the reality that we don't like to talk about aging, decline, or death. And, you know, Joseph Campbell, who was such a, such an incredible, um, writer and teacher, um, storyteller, you know, his, his, the power of myth was a very, very potent, um, special and book. You know, he talks about how, when we get to the second half of our life, it's so important that we begin to turn our attention to our inner life more so than our outer life in an effort to prepare to age consciously and to deepen the wisdom and the experience of, to deepen our wisdom. And then the experience of life so that we feel more alive. You know, he said at one point that most people say that they want more meaning in their life, but what he believes is people want more aliveness. And I agree with him. And what makes us alive is facing reality, is, you know, coming home to the present moment and and dealing with what is, what's in front of us instead of what we hope could be or what we are trying to manipulate to make happen. And so... Um, I think if we can talk more about um, 
aging, if we can talk about eldership, if we can talk about what it means to, um, as we do the inner work, our inner lives become more important. And when your inner life becomes more important, you actually can celebrate aging rather than try to reverse it or ignore it or defend against it, you know? And so being able to talk about um, the dismantling of the ego as we get older so that we kind of settle into the reality that we are a soul, I think in a lot of ways, the first half of our life is assembling all of the parts of us that form the ego or the personality. And the second half of life is disassembling those parts so that you can learn about what's left behind, which is you as this higher wise conscious being. And when we do that, death isn't as scary when we're able to talk about grief and loss and what it means, whether it's loss of my looks or loss of my strength or loss of mobility, whatever it might be. I mean, Obviously, you know, in the book, um, Self-Care for the Wisdom Years, I talk about the importance of making health a priority in a very different way as we get older. But as Joseph Campbell says, we're all like cars and eventually the bumper is going to fall off or the exhaust yes. is going to give. You know, that's just how it is. And how are you preparing for that? And you can't prepare for something that you don't face. You can't prepare for reality if you're not willing to see what it is. And when you are prepared, you have a much better experience of aging. And so being able to talk about these things is really important. As a matter of fact, there's this wonderful show on, um, I think it's on Disney Plus. You can look it up online, but it's with um, Chris Hemsworth, who played Thor in the movie Thor. Mm -hmm. yep. um, it's called um, Un Un Limitless. It's called okay. Limitless. It's a wonderful series. And the very last episode of the series is on aging and death. And I I recommend everybody watch that. It's a powerful, powerful um, one hour, one hour and 15 minute show on what happens when they age Chris Hemsworth and put limitations on his body and then show him and teach the audience the stages that we go through as we start to accept and embrace aging. And it's, it's a really potent and eye-opening um, show that I really recommend people check out. Even, even someone like you who's younger, it's just a beautiful way to start the dialogue about the reality that we're all going to age and we're all going to die at some point. Right. Yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned Chris Hemsworth because we're actually the same age, he and I. So um, I would actually would like to see that because um, uh, I would like to see how he reacts to that whole process. And I actually had a very interesting experience a couple of months ago. Um, I was on a tour uh, while I was traveling in Italy, and I saw this man, and he must have been in his 70s or 80s, and he was struggling to keep up with us. He was on his walking stick and he was panting out of breath. And then finally, when he got onto the bus and he sat down, he just said, oh, it's so good to be young. I wish I could be young again. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I just thought I have to be so grateful for being at the age that I am and not take it for granted. And yeah, I just remember thinking that at that time as he said that because he was so emotional as he said it. Yeah, well, because not only do you want to really, you know, appreciate the age that you are. I love it. Louise Hay once said something like, you know, if you look at yourself in the mirror right now, and, or you take a picture of yourself right now, 
20 years from now and, and and you take a picture of yourself now and you know for for people who for example um don't like how they look right or are critical self-critical about how they look she would say take a picture of yourself now and remember that 20 years from now you'll look back on this photo and pine yeah. for that person yeah so you know, remember so I think that um so it's important to appreciate where we are but the gift of that man on the bus and with the walking stick was also to remind you that now is the time to be actively engaged in daily practices that really honor your body, that take yes. good care of your body. He was because not healthy. The old, yeah. Well, the older we get, the harder it is to implement those changes and to make them stick. And so we really want to be able to put good practices in place. I'm grateful now at this point in my life at 62 years old that I'm able to, you know, make my health a priority. I walk every single day. I work out in the gym at least three times a week. I go into a cold tub every single day. You know, my health is a priority over anything else because I want to be as mobile and as strong as I can be for as long as I can be. Not because I'm trying to defy aging. I know I'm going to die and I'm already aging. I'm already experiencing the effects of aging. But I want to be able to experience the aliveness that life presents us with every single day. And I want to be able to do that fully by being able to go on that tour or climb a mountain or swim in the ocean or whatever it might be, because I happen to like being active. That to me makes me feel alive. So, right. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. I think we really need to start doing that early on. Right. And Cheryl, what advice do you have for those who are, particularly attached to their identity of like being a very good looking person, like someone like Chris Hemsworth, for instance, or like an Angelina Jolie, someone who's very attractive. When that starts diminishing, I think it can be challenging to not be able to attract as much as attention as they, as they used to. Yes. Yes. Well, there is such a beautiful symbol really for what we've been talking about. And that is, If we invest all of our energy in our outer selves, how we look, the body, our face, whatever it might be, not that there's anything wrong with that. I have no judgment for people that, you know, I had my eyebrows tattooed years ago. It was the best thing I did. Yeah, I loved it because I had, I just, my, my eyebrows were thin and they weren't, and I didn't like doing them. I'm not good with that stuff. I'm not a really a makeup kind of gal. So I had my eyebrows tattooed probably 20 years ago, which was kind of new at the time. It was the best thing I ever did because I liked what I saw in the mirror every day. I liked smiling and feeling like, you know, my face was complete or something. But that was for me. And I think that's really the message that we have to invest more time in our self-esteem, our self-confidence, our self-worth. Um, our own integrity, our own growth, intellectual, spiritual, emotional growth. I'm a huge supporter of therapy. I think everybody would benefit. I've not met, and I've met a lot of people, millions of people probably in one capacity or another, let's say thousands, you know, one-on-one. I've never met anybody who wouldn't benefit from therapy so that you're actually engaging more of your attention, more of your, you're giving more of your attention to your inner life. Because when you feel really good about who you are, how you look is just a byproduct. It, it, it's no longer defines you. So 
when we're concerned with our looks, we're concerned with the shell. It's just like when we're giving too much attention to the crazy mind, our, our fearful thoughts, we're forgetting who we really are. And who we really are is a soul in this body. And some bodies are beautifully shaped and somebody, I mean, all bodies are beautifully shaped in their own way. All faces are beautifully designed in their own way. And if you're relying on your outer looks to make you feel good on the inside, you're setting yourself up for trouble. And so I say daily meditation, walks, spending time with yourself, good therapy. These are all the things we do to invest in our insides so that the outside doesn't matter as much. And that's a very important lesson, especially for people who are younger. Who Yeah, are you concerned when you see the younger gen- selfie generation where everything is so heavily visual now? You know, you watch Instagram, you TikTok. The youth are all about, it's all about the way you look. And yeah. it's just, how are they going to face the aging process? Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me that a lot. And I feel like... um I I'm sure when I was young, they were, they were asking adults the same question about, you know, they were just asking different questions. Like, are you concerned about the alcohol use or drug use or obviously weren't asking about technology, but you know, are you concerned? I mean, I, I can't even really remember what they were asking back then. So um, I am concerned about the way in which social media gives people a false sense of importance, a false sense of connection and intimacy. Um, I'm concerned sort of biochemically at the way social media and technology and our phones um, contribute to like dopamine dumping in the brain that then makes people want to keep going back. You know, the phone is a drug. Technology is a drug. So maybe they talked more about like pot and alcohol when I was a kid, because, you know, I mean, I was born in 59, but the sixties were like, you know, the smoking pot generation. Right. Uh, I think alcohol is an even bigger problem now than it was back then. But, um, but uh, today, the drug of choice is technology. And that to me is concerning because when we become chronically addicted to technology, um, we become disconnected from ourselves. And as a society, um, a, distracted, a, a distracted society is an easy target for autocratic governments, for, um, you know, for danger. Really, you know, uh, people who are distracted and aren't paying attention to what's going on in a bigger sense um, run the risk of creating, tolerating serious issues um, later on. So, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 the algo- and the algorithms can actually serve up exactly what you've been following. So it's like your world becomes smaller and smaller. You get less exposed to other modes yeah, of thinking I- and... I would recommend recommend people read the book Stolen Focus by Johan. Yeah, I've read that book. Yes. It's a really, to me, that's like one of the best self-care books for 2022. And um, yes, the algorithms are specifically designed to keep you coming back. And he talks about that in the book. And when you look at what's happening with um, even Instagram, if we just take Instagram and the way Instagram has been designed um, to keep you coming back. 
in ways that somebody like myself who understands that technology and knows what's going on, I know enough to stay off, keep the phone at a distance, to keep my computer at a distance, because it would be like me sitting down and, you know, having a glass of wine every hour. I mean, really, like eventually you're going to get hooked whether you intended to or not. And so we've got to be really careful. And I am, I am concerned about the youth. Um, I also know that the youth, the younger people in our country have influenced our elections in really powerful ways. So there's clearly something good going on. And um, I think what's most important is that we support um, younger people and give them something even far more compelling to be engaged in than technology. Mm. Cheryl, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for all the profound insights that you've shared with us. Um, Again, I so appreciate you being here. You're so welcome. And thank you for the good work you're doing, Celine. We need need more young people like you doing this kind of work and caring about this inner work and then sharing the message with others. That's how... That's how we're going to take good care of Mother Earth and her people. Thank you so much. It means a lot, a lot from hearing it from you. Um, Okay, so I just want to let all our listeners know that if they want to know more about uh, you, Cheryl Richardson, and your books and programs, you can visit CherylRichardson.com. You'll find the link in the description. All right, Cheryl, um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. I hope you do too. Bye, Celine. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.